1: The First Lady of New York Radio, Joan Hamburg, entertaining and informative. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome, everyone, to The Joan Hamburg Show. And at a time when the world seems in disarray and hope is vanishing among many people, I thought it would be wonderful if we could reintroduce you, if you haven't heard her recently, to uh, Dr. Jane Goodall, who's not only one of the leading scientists in the world, but a writer, a messenger, and an activist. Dr. Goodall has something that is really important. It's her podcast that she started, actually during the pandemic, to spread her message of hope. It's called Jane Goodall Hopecast. And it's really important for everyone to listen to it. So 60 years of groundbreaking career, Dr. Goodall, and from that young girl who went into a jungle in Tanzania to a major activist, hope is still there and you still feel strongly about possibility, about future, and about our ability to change.
0: Uh, yes, um, I do. And I see the world at the moment. Imagine humans at the mouth of a very long, very dark tunnel. And right at the end is a little star. Let's hope. Well, we're not like point in sitting at the mouth of the tunnel and hoping that the star will come to us. We have to roll up our sleeves, and crawl under, climb over, work around all the obstacles between us and that star, like climate change, loss of biodiversity, um, pandemics, and things like that.
1: And a different world from when you, as a youngster, really started out. It wasn't about activism. It was about your love for animals, your insatiable need to read, and also the faith of a mother who was way ahead of her time, who said to her daughter, who could be considered a total revel in those days, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up, a wife or this or that, but that wasn't you. It was, I want to do something with animals, with chimpanzees, and a mother who said, go for it. You can do anything you want if you're willing to work.
0: Well, it was, you know, I loved animals from the time I was born. She supported that love. She didn't even get mad when I took earthworms to bed with me. She just said, I think they might die here. I, uh, she thinks I was interested in how they walked without legs. But anyway, I was 10 years old when I dreamed I'll go to Africa and live with wild animals and write books about them. And everybody laughed at me. Dream about something you can achieve. Except mum, and she said, well, you know, if you really want to do this, you're going to have to work awfully hard. You must take advantage of every opportunity. And then if you don't give up, you will probably find a way. And that's the kind of support that every child needs.
1: And you had it. And, you know, when you think back... And I know you lecture all over the world, and of course, because of social media and the internet, you can reach millions of people from your own home. But when you look back and you see the coincidence of life, you going to stay with a friend at their farm, and you meet a man who literally changed the course of your life and made that dream come true. And you went for it.
0: Yes, well, it was amazing, wasn't it? I mean, if I look it back at my now, <laughs> I just see all these turning points where, uh, but for some something, I might have gone a different way and not done what I what I have done. It, it's really quite amazing.
1: Yeah, and amazing that you met this man who was renowned in his field, and he was looking for a secretary and assistant. And there you were. You, you point out you hadn't gone to college yet. He took a chance. He hired you. And next thing you know, he's offering you a dream come true, an opportunity.
0: Yeah, that was totally amazing. I mean, we didn't have money for university, we just had money for a secretarial course, boring old shorthand typing, right. bookkeeping. We, we and all then, had you to know, do that. Yes, amazingly, Leakey wanted a secretary. So I was in a world where people could answer all my questions about the animals, you know, the birds and the mammals and the insects and the plants of Africa. And uh, he must have seen something in me, a passion about learning about animals, my fascination with it, my determination. And he offered me this incredible opportunity to go and live
1: with not just any animal, but the one most like us. Right. Right. Uh, Right. And he had full faith in you. I love the fact, too, that your mother came with you, which was part of the deal. And, and what a, a great adventure for her, too. But then you saw things that no one else had seen. And the fact is that when you said that you saw apes making tools and doing other extraordinary things, he believed you and people started to believe you instead of saying she's just a kid, What does she oh, she isn't a scientist by training and that was the start of a life adventure
0: yeah so mom came with me because the British authorities, Tanzania was British back then um, they wouldn't allow me to go without a companion and she volunteered and you know when I first began talking about Chimp's tool using uh, the scientists just said, well, why should we believe her? She's just a girl. She hasn't been to college. But it was when the National Geographic sent out Hugo van Lawick a filmmaker, to film the behavior that I was observing. You know, the scientists had to change their minds. And back then, they were so reductionist. You know, they thought that we were, that the difference between us and other animals was one of kind, not degree, kind. But the chimps, because they're biologically so like us, proved that that we're just part of and not separate from the rest of the animal kingdom. And that opened the door for studying other animals in a different way. Because, you know, when I began, nobody had studied chimps in the wild. In fact, almost nobody had studied any animals in the wild. All the studies
1: were in captivity. And then when you brought back this information... It was shocking to many people, but they ended up believing you because the photographer had proof. He had photographs, and everything changed when that started happening. Yeah, well, he had film, and he was very, very talented. And And um, you married him, right? Yes, I married
0: him, and our son um, is now, you know, he's also... Involved, well, my grandchildren are involved in environmental activities. And um, my son is building environmentally friendly houses. Oh, how fabulous. <laughs> Where is he doing this? In terms, it, Actually, oh. he's in Tanzania oh. at Gombe right now. Right. And the lake, he, the lake has risen in level because of the heavy rains, because of climate change. And so he's building walls to prevent the lake from washing away some of the houses.
1: <laughs> yeah. You've done a good job. And it's because when you started, climate change, climate crisis wasn't even in the vocabulary.
0: No, it wasn't. Absolutely wasn't. And there wasn't any need. I mean, the chimps were not endangered back then. It's all been much more recent. And now... You know, we face the climate crisis, we face loss of biodiversity, all brought on by our actions. The pandemic was brought upon us by our
1: actions, by our disrespect of nature and animals. Mm. I know. And then you brought out the relationship between humans and animals and our obligation and started waking up the world to this. But with all this happening, which is, you know, I hate to use scary words, but it is terrifying in many ways. And there's, we have to preserve the planet, and we can't afford to lose species. But you still feel, Dr. Goodall, hope and endless possibility? Is it because of the youngsters that you see and deal with who truly care and are activists from the time they're little?
0: Well, it's partly the youth. You know, our Roots and Shoots program is now in 65 countries with young people from kindergarten through university all taking action because hope is about action. You can't just sit and hope something will happen. You've got to do something about it. But, you know, the other hope is our amazing intellect, which does make us different from other animals, even though they're way more intelligent than we used to think. But we're beginning to, finally to use our intellect to create innovative technology to help us heal some of the harm we've done and to use our own brains to make as light ecological footprint as we can. And then there's the amazing fact that nature is so resilient in places we've utterly destroyed. If we give them time and perhaps some help, they can once again support life. And species on the brink of extinction mm. can be given another chance. Which but is it? Which is it? Yeah, but you know we are in the midst of the sixth great extinction and we're getting close to a tipping point when if the world goes on heating we may never be able to do very much about it and we're doomed. So that's why I am so passionate about raising awareness, and not only raising awareness, but getting people to take action. We can make a difference, but do we have the will? And the well, young people, have, you do. know, the young people are, are really, really, really inspiring. Once they know the problems, and we encourage them to take action.
1: And your book. I I don't think I mentioned in the beginning that Dr. Goodall, uh, less than a year ago or around then, the Book of Hope, a survival guide for trying times. We need that absolutely more than ever. And that book has had and is having a great impact on all of us who may not be scientists or authors, but the book hits home and it's really important. Are you amazed by your outreach even now at this point when a lot of it, when you were traveling constantly and now I'm sure the pandemic seems to be calming down, but the world is still in horrible shape and you're doing a lot online. Are you surprised by the outreach of all that? Well,
0: I've got a wonderful team at the Jane Goodall Institute helping to create virtual Jane and um, I'm told that I've reached literally millions more people mm. in many more countries. I mean, I can I can be in four different countries in one day, but Amazing, it's exhausting. Huh? I've never been as exhausted, much more exhausting than traveling, because you can be doing two two interviews and a podcast in one day. You can be in four different countries. I haven't had one day off. I haven't had one weekend off since the pandemic began. Wow. Wow.
1: Yeah.
0: And it's just amazing. I, and,
1: yeah, it is but and it's so interesting too from when you started 60 61 years ago that it was about the animals and then you understood quickly that it was about humans and people and the interconnection and that it wasn't just animals it was the people all around them too and the communities And it again started changing everything.
0: Yes, well, it was when I visited six other chimp study sites across Africa and realized how the forests were being cut down and chimp numbers were dropping. That was in 1986. And I learned about the plight of the chimps, but I also learned about the plight of the people, the crippling poverty, lack of good health and education facilities, the degradation of the land as populations grew, and flying over tiny Gombe National Park, where the study is still ongoing, seeing that what once had been a great stretch of forest was now a little island of forest, and all around the hills were bare, and it hit me. I mean, this is because the people are so poor they're cutting down the trees
1: right. to find jobs, the money, poverty, poverty,
0: poverty, poverty.
1: I'm Joan Hamburg talking to Dr. Jane Goodall, and we were talking about the fact that it all started with animals, but it then extended to people too. And this is major. If people are living in poverty, then they're going to do things to make money, to make land, to make things grow. And this is why the... Connection between the world of the animals and the world of humans is so important. They have to be taken hand in hand in many ways. Do you find that this is a message that people understand saving animals and nature means saving the population as well? Well, people are getting more aware and this pandemic has helped because we brought the pandemic
0: on ourselves by our disrespect of animals, not, not, not treating them as the sentient beings they are with their own individuality, but capturing them, trafficking them or their body parts around the world, selling wildlife markets, crowding them in tiny cages, stressing them, creating amazing conditions for a, a virus to jump from an animal to a person. When that happens, if it bonds with a cell in the human body, then it can create a new so-called zoonotic disease. And apparently of 70 plus percent of all new human diseases are zoonotic in origin, either from uh, crowding animals closer to people by destroying their environment or through these wildlife markets or the factory farms where we crowd billions of sentient animals in terrible conditions. And, you know, each one of those animals, each pig on a hog farm, is an intelligent being with its own personality. And feelings,
1: as you point out. Animals have emotions and feelings. They do. All of them. But when you started and you point out that chimps can be aggressive depending upon circumstance. What do you think it was that protected you? You went in there, 20-something years old, and waited and waited until you had endless patience. They started accepting you. But what do you feel it was that enabled you to do that and not be attacked or harassed by the animals who could be protecting their own turf?
0: Well, they first of all were frightened of me and ran away for four whole months. And then, you know, I was harmless. They did start being very aggressive towards me at the beginning, treating me a bit like a predator, basically mm-hmm. wanting me to go away. But I ignored them and pretended I wasn't interested, even though know, it was a bit scary. And you know, eventually, they—they just—they're not. You know, most wild animals are not aggressive to humans,
1: unless we frighten them, or unless they've been hurt. And in the end, all of this was our gift. But when you look back, and you became a scientist, but in the very beginning it was your observation, your intellect, your gift to be able to reach out to animals, what does it take to be a good scientist. and that time, the scientific community laughed at you in a way, you know, and and your constant conversations about the feelings of animal, their abilities. Today, the world has changed. To be a good scientist, what do you need to be? And, of course, more women are going into science because of you. I think one of the most
0: important things about science is... And one of the reasons why women perhaps didn't want to go into science so much is that one was told you can't have empathy with your subject. You've got to be totally objective. And if you have empathy for your subject, you cannot be objective, which is absolute rubbish. You can. I've proved it again and again. And science, it needs the head. Yes, you've got to be, you know, be taught to think scientifically and logically and all that kind of thing which i love but we must involve the heart as well and it's when head and heart work in harmony that we can get
1: scientists who are also humane people and all those years when your son was a very little did you bring him up in tanzania or where was he based then he
0: was in Tanzania until he was eight years old.
1: Uh-huh. And
0: then he came to school in England and lived with my mother. So we a nice extended family we are.
1: Was it hard bringing up a little boy there?
0: No, it was wonderful. But we had to keep him away from the chimps because, you know, they are hunters. They eat mostly other primates. And Uh um, the human baby is nothing but another primate to them. Right, a baby monkey (laughs) or something. Yes, we had to keep him very uh, safe. We had a house on the beach where the chimps seldom
1: go, Uh and he was always Uh with someone. And he probably loved it from the time he was able to talk.
0: Oh, yeah, he loved, well, what he loved was, you know, the Gombe Stream is on the shore of Lake Tanganyika, Mm -hmm. And uh, he could swim before he could walk. That was his thing, the lake.
1: Fantastic. So, so many things are going on in your life. Is there a wish list of things that you plan to do in the near future?
0: Well, I mean, you know, I'm nearly 88. I will go back on the road. I will probably never do quite as much traveling since discovering how much more outreach I can have from from one place Um, but you know, I want to visit my friends again. I've got friends all over the world and Zooming is okay but actually being with them is is better. Uh The things I used to want to do like going to the wild parts of Papua New Guinea, you know, I know I can't do those now when you're 88 and you've got one knee that had a broken kneecap at one point And, you know, you, know, you have Find to it. yourself a little bit. I'm still jolly active and I can climb around Gombe, but um, I'm not any longer going to try and go on long,
1: arduous expeditions where I'd simply be a burden on everybody else. And I'm curious, at this point in time, when we have crises on every level in the world, What is your feeling? Are world leaders going to ever follow through on the promises, including climate change, which is essential right now? We could be on the brink.
0: We are on the brink.
1: And, you know, um, I
0: took part in in COP26 in Glasgow, virtually. I wasn't there. Mm -hmm. If all the leaders kept to their promises, then that would be great. But they never have so far. And the only thing is climate change is higher on the political agenda. More people know about it. More and more NGOs are working on it. Youth groups are working on it. But, you know, I mean, we've now got this terrible situation in Ukraine. What's going on in Ukraine now takes me right back to when I was a child growing up in World War Two. And, you know, for about a year, Britain was the only... Country in Europe that wasn't either defeated or had capitulated to Nazi Germany. And we didn't have, we were not prepared for a war, not at all. But there we were with no proper defenses except very brave young airmen uh, going over and mostly getting killed. But we had Churchill and he roused the spirit in the British people. We will not be defeated. And I see the same thing in Ukraine. Yes, And finally, the free world is beginning to come together and support is pouring in uh, to help the beleaguered people in in Ukraine. And, you know, all these over a million refugees. But you see the wonderful side of humans, people opening their houses to the refugees, people rushing in to volunteer in Ukraine, even though the situation is so grim. So disaster brings out the very best in people as well as the worst
1: Right, and with uh, your messages of hope it makes such a difference I highly recommend um, the book of hope Dr. Goodell's podcast which is hope and we absolutely need it now all the best to you I'm grateful that you took the time out of your busy schedule I look forward to talking to you soon All right. Thank you very much. Anytime. And I'm Joan Hamburg and you're listening to WABC. More ahead.